Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. Lord, when we think of who we are, we are so thankful who you are. For Lord, if we stand on our own works and our own thinking, we will see who we are. And Lord, in this evening hour as we talk together, we just pray that for the many teens that are here that do not know you, for the many teens that are better known of the devil than known by you, we pray that your word would prick their hearts, that your call would go out. For Lord, we know no man comes unto the Father, no woman comes unto the Father, except the Father draw him. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, I look out at you uh, and hear what a nice job you did on the teen choir that you just sung. I heard some of the songs. I left early to come down here. But it sounded wonderful. And I look out at you. You guys are all dressed so nicely. You look good. I've seen uh, a lot of you at uh, recreation. And um, you can see some of you guys who spend a lot of time on in the weight room, and it shows. I was uh, playing, or I was watching my brother-in-law um, play, uh, what's that thing called, were you, corn, cornhole, right? Cornhole, right? Okay. And he, you can see he's doing some bodybuilding and his arms are strong, and I said, hey, Ryan, uh, you've been doing some working out, you know, is that why your arms are so big? He goes, Erwin, if I didn't work out you know what my arms would look like? And I looked at him and I said, yeah, they'd look like mine. But you know what? None of you is special. Not one of you. And I'm going to quote and read a commencement speech, part of it, that was delivered um, last year by David Thoreau. I think it was up in the New England States. Or David, Mr. David McCullough. So, bear with me here. It was a graduation ceremony. And you know, when you graduate, you, there's accomplishments. There's valedictorians. And there's probably valedictorians among us, I would suspect. And this is what he had to say. He was a teacher at this school, and it was a, a brand new school, and it was the first commencement there. And here's the words that he said. Some of the words. No commencement is life's great ceremonial beginning with its own attendant and highly appropriate symbolism. Fitting, for example, for this auspicious rite of passage, is where we find ourselves this afternoon, the venue. Normally, I avoid cliches like the plague. I wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. But here we are, literally, on the level playing field. That matters. That says something. And your ceremonial costume, that many of you already have worn and you will wear someday, shapeless uniform, one size fits all, whether male or female, tall or short, scholar or slacker, spray-tanned prom queen or intergalactic ex-boss, Assassin, each of you is dressed, you'll notice, all the same. Your diploma, but for your name, 
is exactly the same. All of this as it should be, because none of you is special. You're not special. You're not exceptional. Contrary to what your nine soccer trophies suggest, your glowing seventh grade report card, despite every assurance of certain corpulent, a certain corpulent purple dinosaur, that, uh, that nice Mr. Rogers and your Aunt Batty Sylvia, no matter how often your maternal Cape Crusader has swooped in to save you, you're nothing special. Yes, you've been pampered, cosseted, doted upon, helmeted, bubble-wrapped. Yes, capable adults with others. Other things have held you, kissed you, fed you, wiped your mouth, wiped your bottom, trained you, taught you, tutored you, coached you, listened to you, counseled you, encouraged you, consoled you, and encouraged you yet again. You've been nudged and cajoled, wheedled and implored. You've been fawned over and called sweetie pie. Yes, you have. And certainly, we've been to your games, your plays, your recitals, and your science fairs. Absolutely, smiles ignite when you walk into a room and hundreds gasp with delight at your every tweet. Why, maybe you even had your picture in the town newspaper. And now you've conquered high school. And indisputably, here we are, gathered for you the pride of joy in this fine community, first to emerge from this magnificent new building. But don't do not get the idea that you're anything special, because you're not. And he goes on to say there's 37,000 valedictorians in all the USA and all these things, and some would say, but Dave, the author, you cry, Walt Whitman tells me I'm my own version of perfection. I have the spark of Zeus, and I don't disagree. So that makes 6.8 billion examples of perfection. 6.8 billion sparks of Zeus. You see, if everyone is special, then no one is. If everyone gets a trophy, trophies become meaningless. In our own spoken, but yet so subtle, Darwinian competition with one another, which springs, I think, from our fear of our own significance, a subset of our dread of mortality we have of late, of our Americans, to our detriment, come to love accolades more than, div uh, div uh, more than genuine achievements. End quote. You're nothing special. And yet, in a way, each of us is special. But this evening, as we're going to be talking about who you are, when I look at the statistics that show me uh, who is before me, there's about 180 of you teens, and you've probably heard this statistic before, only about 20% have made a public declaration that you love Jesus Christ, that you have been washed in His shed blood, and that you've been born again. That's around 36 to 40 of you. And maybe in this past week, maybe a few of you have turned your lives to Jesus Christ. But at this very moment, what most of you in this room are is your simple jars of clay. And for one of our texts, what I'd like to just read is in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul talks about this. And in verse 1 he says, Therefore, seeing that we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. 
but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves servants of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay jars, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, most of you in this room, you are simple clay jars. And right now, for probably most of you here, that doesn't make any sense. You see, in these days, what they used clay jars for were various, re- various reasons. One of them, they put some valuables in. That wasn't the primary purpose. A clay jar would be you, any type of jar you would see. It's a brown, it's kind of ugly, it's very cheap, it's very inexpensive. It's easily replaced. And I know to each of your parents and, each to, and my children also to me, we are irreplaceable. But the way God looks at us, the way God simply looks at you is, you and I are clay jars. And those of you who do not know Jesus Christ, right now, who you are, this very moment, are simply clay jars. Besides putting some valuables in them, the primary reason for clay jars in these times was they would be like our trash cans today. Refuse. Garbage would go in them. There was another reason to have clay jars around. Nowadays, they're very nice. They're porcelain. They come in multi-colors. You can have different covers on them, different colors. It's called a toilet. They were used for refuse. Clay jars would be used where excrement, human excrement would be put in or where it would be set in when you were finished, and they would be carried out and dumped away from the home or where it was originally came out. So for about 140 of you here, you're simply clay jars. You're inexpensive. You're replaceable. And your primary use is to haul around this carcass that day by day is dying. You know, um, about a year and a half ago, I started running. And I like to run. And I have fun to run. And then as time went on, I realized, well, I'm going to try to run faster. So I ran faster. And then there were goals that I had, and I ran even faster. But you know what's interesting? No matter how fast I run, there's always someone faster than me. That's why I try to go for the really small races where there's not much competition, and then I can win. You see, I know a lot of you are fast. I know a lot of you are very strong. A lot of you are very good looking. You're very, you're very boisterous, and, and you have a, an entertaining personality. When it comes down to it, you're dime a dozen. There's a lot of you. 
There's a lot of people that are like you. There's a lot of people that have that same flamboyant character, that have that same nice hair, the same good looks, that have the same character, same type of characteristics. And what God wants us to know before we become Christians is that we are simply clay jars. Daniel writes about a guy who had to learn this. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was a king of a vast domain. He conquered Israel, and he conquered uh, it at God's command, at God's behest. He was, he was, he was something. You know, I, I, I think of us, all of us, me included in, in your age group as far as insignificant. None of us has achieved anything of anything great, especially you. You haven't achieved anything wonderful. Oh, you might have all A's. Big deal. There's hundreds of thousands that have done that before you, and there will be hundreds of thousands after, if the Lord tarries, that will do it afterwards. But here's a man that, that God used to conquer and to discipline his own people. Here's a man, Nebuchadnezzar, that God chose, and he was a powerful man. And for a while, he recognized God's divine authority, but then something happened in him. He thought he was better than just a little porcelain clay jar. A potty. And the Bible says what God did to him. In verse 28 of Daniel chapter 4, we read, And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months as he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake, and he said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of my kingdom by the might of my power and the honor of, his, of my majesty? He looked out over all this kingdom. He looked out, out over a legitimate goals and achievements that he had. Not just good grades, not just a good body, not just a fast one, not just a fun personality, not just someone everybody wanted to be around. He really accomplished something. And when he lifted himself up and he thought he was a, just a little bit more than a clay jar, this is what God did to him. And while the word, the previous word, when he was puffing himself up, beating his chest, while the word was still in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from you. And you know what happened to him? Supernaturally, God almost like turned him in to a ravenous animal. Turned him into a, 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 a man that would crawl on all fours, that crawled around the kingdom, that was, that was probably completely insane and crazy. Here's the king of Babylon. Here's the most powerful man in the world. He's even more powerful than our current president, than any one of our presidents. He had absolute authority. And what happened? Because he thought he was better than a clay jar, because he was, thought he was a little better than, than this, this, this ucky container, this nasty container, because he thought he was something. God struck him down and said, I'm going to teach you a lesson. What he was teaching to Nebuchadnezzar is, you're nothing special. And my young teens here, if, we're, if Nebuchadnezzar is nothing special, then you and I, are nothing special either. And I know that goes against what everything that 
many of you have been taught in our schools. You know, we, we talk about no trophies, are, oh, no trophies are given out, or if trophies are given out, everybody gets them. Well, if everybody gets them, no one is special. But maybe that's how it should be. Because none of us is special. And eventually, Nebuchadnezzar finally, at the end of days, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven. And He goes basically, it is, the, it is God that lifts up kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar got it. There are about 140 of you here that don't get it. And that's okay. That's okay. I mean, that's how it is. There's nothing new under the sun. There's a hundred, you know, when I was going to Eastern Camp 40 or 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there were also people in, in my age group, and I was one of them for a while that thought I could defy the odds. But each of you is going to die. And probably what's sad is some of you will probably maybe even die before I do. You know, tragedy occurs. Disease occurs. Wrecks occur. Things happen that we don't plan for. Things in your life will happen that might cut your life short. Then all the achievements that you have and all the physical achievements that you've accomplished and all the trophies that you've earned and all the accolades that you've received will mean nothing. Because right now, who you are is a simple clay jar. When Job was... Um, when Job was questioning God, God took Job out to the woodshed and in, in Job chapter 38, he, he said these words to Job. You know, and Job was saying, Lord, why have you done this? I'm such a good person. I'm such a good person. I've, I, I've done what you've asked me to do and you know, why on earth would you test me this way? What did God say to him? Who is this that darkened the council by the words? Gird up your loins, a man, and I will demand of you and answer me. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, Job. Where were you when I put the world into motion? Where were you when I built the trees? Where were you, Job? I didn't see you around. And yet, some of us here somehow think that we're going to defy the odds. That we're going to be the one that does not die. We're going to be the one that will not have to bow the knee to Almighty God. See, right now at this moment, many of you, many of you that are maybe even here asleep, are clay jars. Good for refuse. Good for excrement. And that's about it. And when it busts, we find another clay jar and do it all over again. Revelation chapter 19. Chapter 20.
are you now? Eighty percent of you this evening, roughly, only the Lord knows, eighty percent of you identify yourselves as sons and daughters of the devil. You know, there's no sugarcoating that. There's no, there's no way around that. There's no nice way to say that it is. As a wise man once said, it is what it is. That's where you're going. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1 says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which was the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. There's a place called hell. When hell is finished, which is a horrible place of torment, there is a place called everlasting fire. When hell is finished, something will happen. You'll be there. There'll be some stoppage in time in some manner. See, you might even think, I'm getting out of here. Maybe, maybe that religion had it right. Maybe this was purgatory. Maybe I, maybe I did accomplish some things on this earth. I wasn't all that bad. And then you will be dumped along with everyone else that's in hell. will be dumped into the lake of fire. See, what's bad about this place is it wasn't prepared for us. You see, it was a special place prepared for angels. You see, angels are a little different than us. They're, they're a little more powerful in a sense. They, they, they're a little more durable than we are. Their bodies don't decay like ours does now and they don't become weaker. So God prepared a place for them. A special place. A special place of torment. And the Bible says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. And I don't know what God was doing. Maybe God said, okay, you know, humankind rebelled. What am I going to do with them? Well, I've already got this place called hell that's going to be cast in the lake of fire. Why make another place? I'll just put you there. So the reality of it is, this place that was made for the devil and his angels, that's who you are. At this very moment, many of you that don't know Jesus Christ, that have not professed that love and adoration of Christ, have not repented of your sins and been born again, who you are is not in Christ. Who you are is you are a resident, a future resident of eternal damnation. That's it. There are only two places that you will go. You will either go to heaven or you will go to hell, which will then be cast into the lake of fire. John went on to say, and I saw a great white throne in verse 11 and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened up. And another book was opened up, and the, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of it. And the things that were written in, the, in these books according to their works. There's going to be a book that's going to identify who you are. You see, what's nice about this is you won't even have to say anything. You won't even have to say, hey God, because God's going to have this book and it's going to have everything written in there that you did. It's going to have everything written in there that you thought. It's everything that you planned. It's every motive that you had. 
You won't, you won't have to worry about your, uh, presenting your case. You won't have to worry about articulating your defense. It's going to be all there. You can just sit back and hear what your life was like. And there's not going to be any argument with God because it's all going to be there. There's, it's only going to be truth. It's only going to be 100% accurate. The sad thing is, everybody at this judgment Everyone that's there, not one is going to make it to heaven. Not one at this great white throne judgment will make it out of there alive. Only what waits for them is eternal damnation. And the sea gave up their dead, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast. See, this is where it happens. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And this death lasts forever. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Who are you right now? This very moment right now, are you a future resident of eternal damnation or are you a future current resident of the kingdom of God? There's no halfway house. There's no middle ground. If you recognize your sin, if you recognize that you are apart from God, if you recognize that your need for a Savior, then your condemnation is clear. You see, it's not how good you've been. It's not, it's not, even, it's not even what you've done. God's not condemning you for even what you have done. He's not condemning you that because you were bad. He's not condemning you because you disobeyed your parents. He's not even condemning you because you're rejecting Jesus Christ. He's not condemning you for that. You know God's not condemning you for that. You are condemned because you're a sinner. You're condemned, and I was once condemned, because of the sin of Adam. And you might think, oh, that's not fair. And I know, this generation, fairness, it's not fair. It's not fair. I hear my kids say it all the time, it's not fair. No, it's not fair. It's not fair that the sin of what Adam did falls back down on us. And it's also not fair that some of the same thing, traits that our parents have, maybe some of the diseases that they pass down to us, maybe some of the same characteristics that we don't like, we end up like them. Again, it is what it is. And if some of us have some disease that was passed down from our parents, and maybe it's a deadly disease, we're not going to say to the doctor, but it's not fair that I got this. It's not fair that I have this. No, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the doctor and we're going to try to find a cure. Who is God? This evening, I'd like to talk a little bit about who is God. We know who many of us in this room are. We know who, where many of you will be going right now if this world were to end. We know that roughly 80-70% of you, based on just statistics, they're not, that, that statistics aren't, isn't the book of life. We know that. But we know that a vast majority of you are going to eternal damnation. 
And the reason you're going to eternal damnation is because there is a God who is righteous. And first, Second Thessalonians talks about that, about this righteous God. Second Thessalonians chapter one clearly tells us why we need a savior. Why we want a savior. And and we know that God didn't have to send his son. God did not have to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us, for we were already condemned. Remember, the condemnation is that we don't, is not that we have rejected the Son. That is the greatest condemnation. But even if God did not send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross, we would still be going to hell. But He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to cleanse us, not just to cover our sin, but to cleanse us from our sins. Because God is a holy God. What do we mean by holy? Now each of us in this room, we have certain levels of expectations of ourselves. Each of you, you some of you, like to keep your rooms nice and clean. Some of you, I know, like to keep your rooms nice and not clean. But some of us have certain standards. We have, you know, if I don't get an 85% on this test, I'm going to be mad. If I don't get a 98%, and then what happens is we have our own standard of 98%, And what do we get? We get a 97%. You see, we fall short of our our own standards. And God's standards is absolute perfection. He's a holy God. And we might think, that's not fair. Again, it is just what it is. It's like when a doctor tells you you have a problem, you just have to deal with it. The problem is, we are sinners. You are sinners that have not been redeemed. The Apostle Paul writes this to Thessalonians and he says, seeing in verse 6 of chapter 1, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to pay back, recompense, tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished from everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You see, when God comes into a room, imagine this. Imagine a room that is dark. And the Bible oftentimes, sinners are referred to as darkness. So we are dark. You are inherently dark if you don't know Jesus Christ. You're dark. Darkness. When God enters the room, it's like turning on the light bulb. What happens to each of us? What happens to the darkness that's there? It's gone. Anytime darkness battles light, the light always wins. And in this case, God is absolute righteousness, absolute holiness. And part of His personality is that He is just that powerful and just that awesome. And that each of us, we cannot stand in His presence unless we too are light. You see, light cannot stand and darkness cannot stand in the presence of light as we read here in Thessalonians. And none of you can stand in the presence of God unless Jesus Christ has redeemed you and made you as white as snow, has washed you and washed your sins away. That's the God that we serve. This very moment, 
There's a righteous God that is offering His Son to wash away your sins. We have a righteous God that has sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross to resurrect to newness of life so that each of us who believes God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and to know Him. Do you recognize that? Do you see that need? And maybe some of you don't see that need. And maybe God isn't calling you at this very moment. But when you hear His voice, and tonight, maybe you're going to hear His voice at Inspiration Hour. You might be hearing God's voice right now. Today, while you hear His voice, harden. Don't harden your heart. Seek out someone to turn to. Turn to God in prayer to return from your sins so that you can be redeemed. You see, because none of you is special. There will always be this tension in the Scripture. You know that we first started out with 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Who can you be? Right now, many of you are just jars of clay. Jars of clay with garbage and stinky, smelly excrement. That's it. Replaceable. Easily discarded. Inexpensive. But the reason there's this tension is you are in this way special. You're not special because of who you are. You're not special because how fast you go. You're not special because about how much you can lift, how many triceps are showing, how nice your hair looks, how many baskets you make, how many balls you catch, how many A's you get, how many good grades and scholarships you get. You're not special because of those things. The reason you are special is because God has chosen us to love. Now think of, of all the animals in the field, all the, all the beings out there that are out there, God chose to love us. God chose, even when we rebelled against Him, to love us. Not because we're great, in spite of the fact that we're not great. And Paul says this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Right now, many of you, all you are are earthen vessels. Clay jars. But if you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, turn to Him and repent of your sins, you will still be that clay jar. But you'll have this treasure in there. And what's that treasure? And why does God have it a clay jar? God demands, because of His nature, all glory to go to Him. And what we as humans, what we always kind of do is we kind of, we, we want to have a little bit of pride in us. That we, we're, you know, and that we're joining maybe a God's team. 
And some of you, maybe even we hear like, oh, you're going to be such a great addition to the church. And you're going to be so wonderful. And we sometimes have this idea that, there's, that God is sitting up on His throne as, and as He's on the edge of His seat and wondering if you're going to convert. Man, if I really had this young man on my side, if I really had him, boy, I could move mountains. I could, I could, I could change the world. We sometimes think that when we, when we become believers that now God is going to win. God's going to win in spite of us. You see, even if we don't speak and glorify God, the Bible said the stones will cry out. God will always get the glory. So the tension is, the tension will always be that in these clay jars, in your bodies that are decaying now, oh, you look nice clean, kept, maybe a little sweaty from being up there. I don't know. But generally, you'll look pretty good. But each of us, from the moment we were born, you're beginning to die. If the Lord tarries, each of you will die. But God, when you turn to Him, places this wonderful gift of grace Not only forgiveness, as we heard earlier this week. Not only forgiveness, but the power to forsake sin. To overcome sin. To have domination over sin. Because of this treasure that's in your clay jars. See, what God wants, and that's why God placed it so. You know, it... He put... put, It's like, since no longer... If once you are a Christian... You have this treasure, this valuable treasure, this diamond, this, this piece of gold that's in this jar. And you know, when you go to a store, or if, you know, if, if something were in the display case and it was a nice uh, watch that you wanted to buy, a Tag Heuer watch or something, and you looked at that watch, it's worth you know, a couple grand, and you looked at it, and that's wonderful, that's beautiful. You don't look at the plastic container that it's in and say, that plastic container is so beautiful. You don't look at that container and say, wow, that is so awesome. When you, when you buy your, your first car, if all your parents gave you, if they gave you a car, or if you bought a car, if they just gave you the key, and that was it, you'd be like, what do you mean I'm just getting the key? Oh, but it's a nice key. That's the earthen vessel. That's not enough. Dad, I want the car, but I gave you the key. But what do we do as, what do we do as Christians? What do we do even as unbelievers when we convert? We think, well, we're, the, we're this great. Church is going to be better that I'm, that I'm on their side now. We've got to understand. The reason God puts this treasure in these carcasses that are dying is so that He gets the glory. So when you do works, when you preach the Gospel to others, when you help others through the various ministries that you have and you will have, when you do these things, they can look at you and say, I see the carcass is dying. I see that you are just an earthen vessel. It's God inside of you. It's not you doing it. I can see that. Sister, I can see that. I can see what you're doing. It's not because you're great. It's in spite of yourselves. It's that earth. It's that treasure that's in there. And I know maybe what you heard tonight is it's not popular. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe you've heard it before that you're nothing special. In one way, you are nothing special. But that God has decided to love you. God has decided to send His Son for you. In that way. 
in that spectacular way. You are special. It's not a beat your chest special. It's that, God, I can't believe You've chosen me. God, I can't believe You love me. I see my imperfections and I don't even see half of them. I don't even see half of what I do wrong. You see all what I do wrong and You still love me. This clay jar that's carrying around excrement in a body that's decomposing. Wow. That's how wonderful You are, God. That's how powerful You are. And many of you are going to hear the call. And many of you will have this wonderful opportunity to have a treasure for the excrement to leave and to have this treasure in this earthen vessel. And you will hear the call. And I want you to be careful. I've seen enough older folk die that on their deathbeds, they don't know Jesus Christ. And no matter how much you talk to them, no matter how much you quote Scripture to them, no matter how much you tell them about the Gospel, no matter how much you pray with them and sing to them, no matter how much you pray for them, God may not be calling them. A wise brother once told me that the call of God is like a subway. The only time that you can get off the subway is when the subway, when the sub, when the train stops. When the train is moving, no matter how much you want to get off of it, go to New York City. It ain't going to stop until it stops. You may think that at any moment in your life, you can turn your life to Jesus Christ. That's unbiblical. That is heretical. You may think that at any moment you can will your way to receive this treasure in your earthen vessel, in your jar, personal jar of clay. That's just not biblical. No one, the Bible says, comes unto the Father except the Father draws him. And the Scripture nowhere, nowhere, nowhere says that God will continually and always at every moment, even your deathbed, will call you. Who are you? Who are you now? Are you just a clay jar walking around with a lot of excrement and refuse and garbage in you? Or are you truly something special in spite of the jar because you have the love of Christ in you? Because you have the forgiveness of sins for that indeed. That is the treasure. That is the treasure that you can hold so that all glory and honor goes to Him.